We've been in a series uh, the last several weeks, all through the Christmas season, that uh, I just entitled Miraculous Births. And we looked at Isaac, and we've looked at uh, John the Baptist. We've looked, of course, last week we, we paused and celebrated and remember one of the most miraculous births of all time, of course, Jesus and his birth. And for a moment, I just want you to think with me about all of the captivating elements of the birth of Jesus. I mean, just, and actually I shouldn't say these all of them, but just think of, think of how many there are. It, it, the, the Christmas story is, is a love story. I say this for all of you who like Hallmark. <laughs> it's a love story between Joseph and Mary. But, but think about this. I mean, look, it's all the difficult decisions, and, and yet they're, you see trust developing between them, even though Joseph isn't the father God is. And, which brings us to the other part of the love story. Is this a multidimensional love story? Hallmark can't do this. I mean, heavenly, we have a love story between a heavenly father and his wayward children. Isn't that beautiful? It's amazing. And there's humility mixed in with it and faith mixed in with it and no, you know, noble angelic messengers who show up. And in the whole story, the rich show up, the wise men treating the poor, Joseph, Mary, and Jesus with dignity and honor that's an amazing, captivating element of the Christmas story. And as you look through the story, you see good triumphing over evil. You see promises kept and surprises and divine guidance through methodologies that we wouldn't expect. And there's mystery and suspense because an innocent, an innocent baby is threatening the security of a grown man king. Is that not astonishing? I mean, I could go on with things that are just captivating about the Christmas story that make it the miraculous, amazing story that it is. But what I want to do today is I want to draw your attention to, you know, the extension of that story. Um, because there's another miraculous birth that Jesus was born to make possible. It has everything to do with the Christmas story. We learn about it in John 3 of the Bible from Jesus himself. And the timing of the conversation I'm going to draw your attention to, get this, is John's version of the beginning, the birth of Jesus' ministry. Now, I know some of you say, well, he, you know, he turned water into wine in Cain of Galilee. That was the beginning. No, if you remember right, he says, this is before my time, Mom, when she's protesting. So I'm saying that for all of you who know that story. The others of you are thinking, what are you talking about? Go back and read John 2 if you haven't read that story. It's an amazing story. But John 3 is really the beginning, John's account of the beginning of Jesus' ministry. It's the birth. Think about that. Miraculous birth. The birth of his ministry and all that, that follows here. John 3 is the text that we're going to be reading from. And you can follow along in your own Bible. You can follow along on the screen. The scriptures say this, this conversation. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. And after dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Unless you are, what's he say? Born again. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? He didn't have the benefit of 2,000 years of knowing all of this. Nicodemus didn't. He's trying to figure this out. What do you mean? 
How does an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it's come from or where it's going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. How are these things possible? Nicodemus asked. Now, let's just pause right there because Nicodemus, I just want you to understand, Nicodemus wasn't stupid. Nicodemus was, was a highly educated scholar of his time. I mean, sometimes we think of the Pharisees and we sort of have this bias against them from a biblical standpoint. You got to understand, we have the Bible today still because of the Pharisees. So, I mean, these, these men were not, I mean, they were not bad men. I mean, he's a, he is a righteous man of his time. In fact, if we had time, I could take you through the rest of the I mean, he's, uh, I mean, he becomes a follower of Jesus, really what he does as you, you track through the life, uh, his life. But he was a highly educated man, and he can't figure out. He knows most of the Pharisees knew the entire Bible by memory. The Old Testament, of course. They didn't have the New Testament then. So, you know, some of you say, well, that's 27 books in the New Testament. They didn't know. Well, they knew the 66 old ones, or that was whatever it was. I can't do math on this fly. So the Old Testament, they, he knew all the Old Testament. Some of you can't, uh, you know, we bog down, we read through Leviticus, all by memory. All by memory, where Nicodemus was. He knew all of this. And he listens to Jesus and he's thinking, this is not making sense to me. I can't compute what you're trying to get across here. What do you mean? How is this new birth possible? What does it have to do with all of this? I mean, he, he doesn't understand it. Thankfully, Jesus doesn't leave us in the dark because just a few verses later in John 3, Jesus gives Nicodemus and all of mankind sense the greatest promise of all time. It is the greatest promise. Jesus reveals the secret of the miraculous birth that he spoke of, this new birth. He tells us how to be born of the Spirit. It's interesting because he contrasts this whole idea. The earlier part, he says, you know, nobody knows how to do this. And his point is that with man, it's impossible because all we can do is reproduce human life. But, but God can produce spiritual life. And he tells us how. And has everything to do with why he left a throne in the heavens and robed himself in flesh, as Scripture teaches as he did at Christmas. Here's what Jesus said, John 3, 16 and 17. God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Verse 17 says, God sent his Son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. I'm going to ask you to read that all out loud with me. Would you do that? Just read those two, those two verses with me. God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. You know, in these verses, Jesus reveals the secret to eternal life, the secret to spiritual birth and rebirth, the secret to, for, uh, to forgiveness, the secret to salvation, the secret to everything related to the spiritual life. The root of it is right here, right here. And the secret is 
We got to believe in him. We got to believe in him. So for the next few minutes, I want to make a few observations from this passage, this this pivotal, important passage uh, that it's my hope that in the next few days, as you watch some football bowl games, you'll be staring at the end zone and you'll see some of these banners raised up. John 3, 16, when you see that, my hope is you'll think of this. You'll think of what we're going to talk about this morning. Because this is a pivotal, important passage, and I'm going to draw some of these observations out for us and apply them to us. Because I want you to love God more. I mean, I want you to face life and your future with more hope, more confidence. And I believe if this passage is firmly rooted in your life and in your heart, it'll help you. It'll help you to love God with all of your heart. Because He loves you with all of His. You'll see it more clearly. First observation I want to draw out here is that the greatest promise here in this passage applies to everyone. I hope you just see that in John 3, 16. It just said, you know, God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone, everyone, everyone. who I mean, Jesus is an equal opportunity savior. Everyone is welcome. Everyone, regardless of wealth or lack thereof, regardless of your social standing, regardless of education, regardless of, of your religious upbringing. If you'll, you'll turn to him, if you'll look to him, if, regardless of your past record of sins, he will, he will embrace you because everyone who turns to him, everyone who believes, can be saved. It's what he's saying here. He repeats this promise often, I think, for emphasis because he knew that most of us have a difficult uh, time embracing this. We have a tendency to forget, a tendency to think that's true for others, but not for me. And so what you find is you follow through in the teachings of Jesus. This idea shows up over and over and over again. I'm going to read a bunch of passages throughout the course of this message. What you're going to find is that I'm going to read a couple right now, but as I read on, there's a bunch of them that I'm not going to read at this moment that I'll read after a bit that apply to this because everyone who does turn to him can be forgiven, can be saved. Is what he, what he wants us to understand. For example, John 3, we, we know 16, 14 and 15 before say this, the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him, everyone, will have eternal life. Mark 16, 15 and following, it says, go into all the world, Jesus says to his disciples, and preach the good news to Everyone, he says, and anyone, anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved, but anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned, Jesus says. John eleven twenty six 26 says, I, Jesus speaking, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. That's good news, isn't it? He says, everyone who believes in me, everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die do you believe this, Martha? So he was talking to when he asked the question. And my question is, do you believe this? You believe? I'm not asking if you believe me. I'm asking you to believe Jesus who said this. Because Jesus wants us to understand that the greatest promise applies to everyone. Everyone. Anyone. 
who according to the text will believe. John 3, 16, one more time. God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes, who believes. You have mankind had uh, authored that verse instead of God, uh, we would have chosen another verb for that sentence. And we, we would not have chosen the word believe. We would, we, we would have changed the verse to say, you know, God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who helps others, right? Or everyone who gives to charity or everyone who works hard or everyone who, who is nice, or everybody who's highly disciplined, um, you know, will not perish but have eternal life. Everyone who recycles <laughs> will not perish, right? That's right. Jesus said the promise applied to everyone who believes. Apparently faith is a big, big deal to God. Makes me think of Hebrews eleven six, which just says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. I mean, faith, belief, trusting him is a big, big deal. Nicodemus struggled to understand all this, uh, just as some of us do. Jesus used an illustration to try to convey the idea that, that would make sense to him, to Nicodemus. In John 3, 14 and 15 is that illustration where Scripture says, As Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that Everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. You know, the lifting up of a bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness uh, made sense to Nicodemus, may not make sense to all of us, what Jesus was driving at there. But you're familiar with the image, whether you realize it or not. You've, you've seen the image. The American Medical uh, Association has this logo. I don't know if you've seen this before, but have you ever seen this? image before that there's uh, there's a corruption of this actually you know the evil one anything God comes up with the evil one comes along and and tries to one up in fact I didn't put an image of it up here but the, the other medical uh, um, image that you're familiar with is like a pole like that with not just one snake but two snakes wrapped around it and uh, that's from Greek mythology that whole image they kind of ripped off God's idea here which is because this happened before the other. Um, and some of you are thinking, what does this have to do? Uh, you're still not following me. Let me take you back to where uh, Jesus is alluding to the story behind all of this and keep this image in mind as, as I take you there. Israel had been wandering in the desert in the wilderness on their way to the promised land. And uh, the Bible tells us in Numbers 21 these words. I said, uh, the people of Israel grew impatient with the long journey. They began to speak against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die here in the wilderness? They complained. There's nothing to eat here, nothing to drink, and we hate this horrible manna. Do you, do you remember? I mean, this is all stuff God's given them. I mean, God's provided food. He's provided, you know, if you read... All the texts related to this, their sandals don't even wear out in 40 years in the wilderness, the scriptures say. I mean, it, God's meeting every one of their needs. And finally, they just start to complain about the manna, which God is providing miraculously every day of the week, except on the Sabbath. And they get, he gives them two days worth a day ahead of time so that they could rest on the Sabbath even. 
I mean, God, God's being generous, and now they're just complaining. We hate this horrible manna. God had had it up to his eyeballs with them, so to speak. Verse 6, so the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people, and many were bitten and died. You just, this is kind of the imagery of the tongue, you know, how, how you know, the tongue could be like a serpent, you know, kind of that imagery. It's, kind of, it's all embedded in this. The Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people. Many were bitten and died. And then the people came to Moses and cried out, We have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take away the snakes. So Moses prayed for the people. And then the Lord told him, this is interesting. Make a replica of a poisonous snake and attach it to a pole. All who are bitten will live if they will simply look at it. So Moses made a snake out of bronze and attached it to a pole. And then anyone who was bitten by a snake could look at the bronze snake and be healed. This is the only time in biblical history that, that God actually told his people to make an icon, if you will. An image, particularly involving um, something that he had created, a snake. So that means that the fact that it's a snake wrapped around a pole is a big, big deal. It's also conveying the idea that just the whole, all that he's doing is a big deal. So our medical association, our, you know, we were founded as a Christian nation. We came up with it. So it's like this becomes the icon of the whole medical industry for, for years until, you know, we don't like that it comes out of the Bible. So we start leaning toward the Greek version the Greek mythology image instead. But this is, this is a big, big deal. This event was both a prophecy and a promise. That's what Jesus was trying to get across to Nicodemus here. Snake-bitten Israelites could find healing by looking at the pole. And Jesus was saying, in a similar way, serpent-bitten sinners. Remember the Garden of Eden? Serpent-bitten sinners were going to be able to find forgiveness and healing by simply looking to and believing in Him. Jesus is saying, just as that pole was lifted up, when the Son of Man is lifted up, just as the, the pole and the serpent was a symbol, an icon of the curse, that he was going to be lifted up and he was going to take the curse upon himself and all who looked to him would be healed, would be forgiven. But they had to have the faith to look, look to him. So when Jesus says, to Nicodemus, as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. I want to ask you, will you believe? Will you look to him? On the cross, he became the curse for you for me that's why he had to die because that was the punishment for our sins was death so he had to die in our place 
good beating, prison sentence wasn't sufficient. It required death in your place and mine. Will you believe that because he's been lifted up, if you'll look to him, you can have new life, new birth, salvation, forgiveness, that the seed of every promise of God and every good thing God's ever wanted to do for mankind and for you can be planted and begin to bear fruit in your life just by looking to him. I'm going to make a third observation from this passage of what Jesus was trying to convey to us and wants us to understand that the greatest promise applies to everyone who believes specifically in Him. You know, I can't do this message and, and not think about Polar Express this time of year. Because the whole thing is about belief, right? The whole thing is about believing in Santa Claus. Okay? Not Jesus, in Santa Claus. And it's a wonderful story, and if you watch it, you kind of have these warm, fuzzy feelings within it. But you've got to understand that we know Santa, if you rearrange the letters as Saturday Night Live said years ago, what do you come up with? Hmm, S-A-T, no, he's not Satan. But... But what you have to understand is that it's not the same. It's like we live in a culture that's trying to elicit faith from people over a comic book character, really. A book person. When the truth of the matter is, Jesus lived and died, was resurrected, spoke the universe into existence. came as God robed in flesh to live among us and is returning soon in power and great glory, the scripture says. It's not the same. And, and it's important that we, gotta, we, we understand Jesus is saying this is all about belief in him. And many in our world are chosen to face death and their future on their own without believing in Jesus, believing in other things or other people. But according to Scripture, that's the greatest tragedy because without Jesus, according to John 3.16, where he speaks there, without Jesus, people are going to perish. They're going to perish. On some level, this is nothing new. This has been going on ever since the Garden of Eden. Mankind has been dying. People have been both physically and spiritually dead. But John 3.16 is sort of the, the birth of something new God was beginning to do in the earth to rescue mankind with his arrival here. Because God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. You read on the verses that follow. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world. And it even goes on in verse 18, Jesus does to say, there is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. But anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. I mean, Jesus is really clear in these verses and in other instances where he teaches in scripture that judgment is coming for all who don't believe. 
But for those who will believe in Jesus, he offers the greatest promise, salvation, eternal life, hope, the seed of everything good is planted in their soul when they believe. You know, Jesus said quite a lot about judgment, actually. In our generation, we don't like to pay attention to those verses where Jesus speaks about that. We like the verses where he speaks about life. And, and honestly, that's okay because Jesus speaks a lot more about life than he does about judgment. And I want you to see some of what he said. John 5, 24, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. Notice the present tense verb, have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins, but they have already passed from death into life. Chapter 6, verse 27, Jesus says, don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval, Jesus says. John 6, 35 and 40, Jesus replied, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. For my it is my Father's will that all who see his Son and believe in him should have eternal life. I'll raise them up at the last day. Chapter 8 and verse 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. John 10, verses 11, 27 and 29, through 29, he says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep, and my sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they'll never perish. No one can snatch them away from me, for my Father has given them to me, and he is more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them from the Father's hand. I could read others. But here's what Jesus wants you and me to understand. What you and I choose to believe about him does matter. You could say it's a life or death kind of thing. Life or death kind of decision. How seriously do you take life or death decisions in your everyday life? You're going to trench in your yard. How important is it to call the little company that was at USIZ, the people who come out and mark the utilities in the ground? How important is that? It's a life or death decision sometimes, right? It can be, particularly if it's an electrical line, a big one. If your doctor says, you know, you need to take this medication or you're going to die, Maybe you've had your thyroid out and you've got to take Synthroid because it replaces the hormone that your thyroid produced, which if you don't have that, guess what? In a matter of a few months or a few weeks, you're going you're gonna to die, right? So the doctor says, you've got to take this every day. How important is it you believe the doctor? It's a life and death decision, right? I mean, we deal with these decisions every single day of our lives. And that's part of why you are still alive because you take many of these decisions seriously. But Jesus wants us to understand 
that what we choose to believe about him is also a life and death decision. And it has not just 70 years of consequence to it potentially, but scriptures teach eternal consequence because you know what your life expectancy is? Forever. Your life expectancy is not 70 years. You are going to live forever. You were made that way by a heavenly Father who loves you and who intended for you to live forever in His presence. So this is a big, big deal. It's why Jesus was born. It's why He suffered. It's why He died. So that we could be spiritually reborn, forgiven, and live So what will you believe? Will you believe that he came for you? I can assure you that really that's all Jesus wants from you. Some of us think God wants all kinds of things from us. He doesn't need your money. He doesn't need your intellect. He doesn't need anything that you and I can give him other than ourselves just our hearts would you begin a new year by giving your heart to Jesus if you've not done that and maybe you've done that but the truth of the matter is you've not lived like it and the Holy Spirit is just appealing to you to say humble yourself don't be like the Israelites who are in the wilderness who complain and grumble against me who claimed to be my people but were rebellious and I had to judge them harshly. He doesn't want that for any of us. Maybe this morning is an opportunity for you to just come before Jesus and say, I believe I'm going to walk in obedience with your help, Lord. Fill me with your spirit. Give me strength to obey. I'm going to surround myself with people who, who want to walk with you too and I'm going to trust you. He'll do that. He'll meet you. He'll bless you. He'll walk with you. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. We're going to close in prayer in just a few moments. Maybe you need to just look heavenward and confess him as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you need to begin the new year by being baptized. Maybe you've never been baptized. I know next week we're going to be baptizing a couple of people. And uh, maybe... Maybe you need to be one of those people. Somebody else need to add to our number who are going to be baptized next week. You say, why would I do that? It's interesting. In this very passage, Jesus says, except you are born of the water and the spirit and even see the kingdom of God. Right here, John 3, verse 5. Go back and read it later. What's he talking about there? I mean, baptism is this, it's, it's a physical act that symbolizes repentance and forgiveness and purification and all these things. What circumcision was to the old covenant with Abraham and the people of Israel, baptism is the, is the symbol, if you will, the, the sign of the new covenant. Have you been baptized in water? Have you sought the Holy Spirit for the fullness of His presence in your life? Except you be born of the water and the Spirit. It's interesting. If you read Acts 2.38, it 
I don't want to go off too long on a baptism study here, but Acts 2.38 talks about the, the promise of the filling of the Holy the, the gift of the Holy Spirit that is given to those who are baptized. It's not a coincidence. doesn't mean that you're going to come up out of the water and begin to behave in all kinds of strange manifestations of the Spirit of God. doesn't mean that. It does mean that the seed of the Holy Spirit is planted in your heart and who He wants you to grow up to be with His presence in your life, someday you will be. It's the picture of it. Maybe some of us need to begin this year by saying, I'm in. And I'm in not on my terms, but on God's. Because this is all in Scripture. You'll do that, Jesus promises, that everyone, everyone who believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting, eternal life. God's dream for you. Let's bow our heads and pray, and then afterwards I'll be happy to pray for anybody who needs prayer. And if you need to be baptized and haven't been, come tell me, okay? We'll make arrangements for that. Heavenly Father, thank you for everyone here. Thank you for everyone within the sound of my voice. Thank you for the miraculous birth that Jesus came to make possible. Thank you that it's every bit as miraculous as his arrival on the planet. Thank you for the imagery of Scripture that when, when one comes to you and gives their life to you, that all of heaven pauses because it's a miraculous moment. Father, you know that we and our world needs a massive movement of your spirit like that in our world in our lives. We each do in our lives and we do in our world. We thank you that you have come, Lord Jesus. And it's our prayer that the working of your Holy Spirit would transform us and that you would flow through us and work through us as individuals and as a church that many, many people would know you as their Savior and Lord. It is your destiny for our church. It's your destiny for us. And there's eternal reward for that. Thank you for every one of us, Lord, who looking heavenward this morning from our spirit and just saying, I believe, I believe. I believe that you're who you claim to be. I believe that you rose from the dead. I believe that you came for me. I believe, oh God, that you chose me not because I'm good enough, but because you were good enough and because you just wanted me to look upward, to see you lifted up and receive the gift and the promise, the greatest promise that everyone who looks to you, everyone who believes, will not perish but have eternal life. Lord, I'm looking. We're looking. Would you see? Would you fill us? And would you help us? Fathers, we begin a new year. We pray for your blessing, your presence in our lives, your empowerment. We ask for your vision for our lives, for our work, for our families, for everything that's a part of who we are and what we do. We recognize that apart from you, nothing good can happen in our lives, but with you, all things are possible. 
We ask for more of you, more of your will for our lives. Ask for strength to overcome evil, for, for virtue in the face of hard-heartedness of our world. We just ask for more of you. So, Lord, as we leave this place and as we head our ways uh, this day, various ways, I ask that you'd go with us, that you'd help the, the words of Jesus to echo in our minds and hearts because it is why he came. Go with us now. We lift this prayer together in the name of Jesus. Amen.